Presenting Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Focus on Truth is dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of the free grace of God and helping people understand the practical relevance of the Bible. Join now with Chuck as together we focus on the truth of God's Word. This is our final session today in the series that I've entitled Frustration, Failure, and Faith with the subtitle Trusting God in Trying Times. Uh, This is the tenth of uh, those sessions. And just by way of review before we begin to get into uh, today's session in which we're going to be talking about Simon Peter and talking about when we're overwhelmed with feelings of failure and we all certainly experience that from time to time. I'd just like to do sort of a little brief uh, review of what we've talked about over these last nine weeks uh, prior to this. Uh, Even as the redeemed people of God, it is inevitable that we will experience frustration frustration, uh, and or failure uh, in our previous studies. together with the one that we're going to talk about today, we have uh, shown the truthfulness, I think, of this statement. The, The Bible is clear that this is just part of and parcel of what it means to be a human being is that we are going to face frustrations. As in the case of Abraham and Sarah, uh, very often we try to make things happen. That is, we try to make spiritual things happen. If I can do this, then maybe I can get God to do so and so and so and so. Trying to help God out, in other words. And when we do, we learn that we produce unintended and very often unwelcome uh, consequences, which result, of course, in frustration. As in the case of Martha that we talked about in our last session or uh, several sessions ago when we talked about Leah. Uh, Often we feel unappreciated. We even feel unloved sometimes. We begin to try to manipulate people uh, into providing for us what in the final analysis only God Himself can provide. And when we do, there are disastrous results to that. And among those results come frustration. As in the case of Jacob, sometimes we feel overwhelmed and that nothing is going right. That is, that everything's out of control. But the truth is, is that nothing is out of control. God has a plan. He also has a timetable. And you and I have to learn to be patient and to trust Him. And when we don't, we find ourselves gripped with frustration. In the case of Samson, we saw that sometimes our weaknesses overpower our strengths. But God, in His sovereign will, will use whatever we yield to Him to accomplish His purposes. But when we yield to those passions of the flesh, there is a price to pay. And there is frustration involved in that. Uh, You'll recall Jonah. We discovered when we looked at Jonah that uh, we can be angry with God. We can be prejudiced against God's people uh, when we're out of touch with, uh, with God's sovereign plan to show mercy. And even after God chastens us as He did Jonah, we still can do the right thing but with the wrong motivation. And when we do, we'll wind up miserable. 
God doesn't always do things the way we expect. We learned that with General Naaman. And he learned that when he traveled south to be cured of his leprosy. He almost missed God's cleansing. But he had surrounded himself with people who loved him and who respected him and who would tell him the truth. And as a result of God's mercy to him, he received two cleansings uh, for his leprosy and for his sin. And as a result, he received a changed life. The process, going through that process, involved frustration. You'll recall Ahithophel, David's trusted counselor, committed treason against his king, apparently because he was bitter and resentful over an incident involving his granddaughter and her husband. The grudge he held for years produced such hatred for his king and former friend, it ended when he took his own tortured life. Getting even with someone for hurting us is God's business. That's not our business. And when we hold grudges, is going to result in frustration and failure. Remember Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth, the son of David's friend Jonathan, he was the beneficiary of covenant kindness from, from King David. Yet he found himself mistreated and misrepresented by people who claimed to love him. And he even found that happening to him from, uh, from David himself. But rather than seeking retribution, He found peace and joy in the well-being of his king. He understood that what he had lost, he had neither earned nor had he deserved it in the first place. When we forget that we have no claim on God's grace, that we have no claim on God's mercy, then we would just open ourselves up for frustration. Well, that's sort of a review of what we've been talking about for the last uh, for the last few sessions, uh, the previous sessions that is. And so today we're going to be talking, as I mentioned earlier, about Simon Peter. And our subtitle is when we're overwhelmed with feelings of failure. How do we cope when we feel as if we have failed? Some of us. Um, go home and cut the grass because every time we take a lap with the lawnmower we can look back and we and we can see something that we have accomplished and it makes us feel better about ourselves we all have ways of coping with uh, failure we find something that we can do and do well and we do that and it helps us to feel better but is that the way that we should approach things whenever we feel as if we have failed the Lord Lord. Well, that's the reason we want to talk about uh, Simon Peter. Just by way of review of his life before he uh, denied the Lord at uh, that very special time with which we are all familiar, let's, take, let's talk about his family background for just a minute. Remember his original name is Simeon, which means hearing his hometown with Bethsaida. We find that in John chapter 1, verse 44. Later on, he moved to Capernaum. Now, this is up in Galilee, so it's it's near that big uh, lake 
called uh, the, the Sea of Galilee. The Romans called it the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, he had a brother whose name was Andrew. We know he had a very strong Galilean accent because of something that was said in Matthew chapter 26. He was identified in Jerusalem as being from Galilee and apparently it was because of his accent. Uh, we know that he was by occupation, at least originally, a fisherman. And uh, he seemed to be fishing with some other people, certainly with his brother Andrew, but also with uh, James and John and with their dad, uh, whose name was Zebedee. As far as his personality and his character traits are concerned, certainly he was a, he seemed to be a natural leader, uh, but one of the problems was that he was a very impulsive person and sometimes uh, he acted foolishly. Uh, remember when, uh, when Jesus came walking on the water, when there was a storm on the sea and all the disciples were out there in a boat, and incidentally they were out there at the behest of, uh, of the Lord Jesus. He had told them where they were to go and then the storm came on the sea. And it was Peter who said, Lord, uh, just let me know what, uh, let me get out there and walk with you. Which is, why would you do that when there's a storm going on on the, uh, on the lake? And yet that's what he did. And we, we admire that because he seemed to be brave. He seemed to be, uh, he seemed to be trusting the Lord. And yet after taking a step or two, uh, all of a sudden he began to sink. And of course, his his uh, great uh, cry at that point was three words: "Lord, save me!" And uh, and Jesus, of course, did did just that. Uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 17, at Jesus' transfiguration, it was uh, the Apostle Peter who said, uh, well, you know, when, when uh, Moses and Elijah appeared there with the Lord Jesus, uh, it was Peter who said, oh, let's build three tabernacles up here, three booths, and let's just stay up here. And of course, it was the Father's voice that came out of heaven who, who rebuked Peter and said, uh, this is my son, listen to him. Don't don't worry right now about these other two people who are talking with Jesus. You just need to listen to my son. Uh, then there was, of course, the incident in John chapter 13 on that final evening when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet and He got around to the Simon Peter and Simon Peter withdrew his feet, just drew them up, said, that's just beneath your dignity. Well, uh, Jesus said, if, if I don't wash your feet, uh, then you have no part with me. He said, well, then give me a bath. He said, you don't need a bath. But see, that Peter was an impulsive kind of person. Uh, he was a, a person who tended toward braggadocia. Remember, he he's the one who insisted that he would never, ever deny the Lord. And yet, he did, and he abandoned the Lord there for a while. And yet, he was also courageous there at uh, when Jesus was arrested. It was Peter who uh, wielded the sword and tried to give the uh, uh, the servant of the high priest a split personality. And uh, he was not very accurate with his sword and just wound up cutting off the guy's ear. Uh, after the resurrection, when the word came from the women that the body was no longer there, 
and something spectacular had happened. It was Peter and John who ran toward the tomb, and John was a younger guy, and he outran Peter. But when they remember when they got to the tomb, it was John who stopped at the door of the tomb, not Peter. Just boom, just ran on, ran on through that opening in there to check it out for himself. That was the kind of person he was. And, and he was loyal. Um, in fact, in John chapter 6, and I put this in this passage in your notes, John 6, verse 66 through 68, it says, Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter was loyal uh, in spite of the fact that he wound up denying the Lord. And, but he was restored, as we shall see. So he was a man with great strengths, but also he was a man with, with a lot of great weaknesses as well. As far as his discipleship was concerned, his following the Lord, we, we know that he was converted through the witness of his brother Andrew. Uh, Andrew, uh, after coming to realize, uh, uh, having his eyes opened that Jesus is the Messiah, um, the first thing he did was to Andrew did was to go and find his brother Simon Peter. Uh, he Peter was aware of his own sinfulness. Remember when uh, Jesus at one point was was preaching to a group, and the group got so big that they were about to push him into the water, and so Jesus got into a boat that Peter was in and said, "You know, push out this way a little bit. At least the, I'll have some room here, where the you know the crowd can get up to the shore, but at least they won't be out here really crowding me." and uh, after the sermon is all over and things are done, then Jesus told him, said, hey, let your net down and you'll catch some fish. And uh, just this huge amount of fish in the net. And apparently this was in the daytime and normally you did that kind of fishing at night. And Peter was just overwhelmed. Lord, you just need to get away from me. I'm a sinful man. He was aware of his sinfulness. He was uh, certainly chosen uh, and called by the Lord Jesus to be a uh, a disciple and uh, and eventually an apostle. A disciple is a learner. An apostle is one who is sent. Uh, as far as his place among the disciples, there are uh, several lists of disciples, and in every one of those lists, um, his name is mentioned first. He was a member of Jesus' inner circle, uh, along with uh, James and John, the three of them. Uh, they were the only ones of the disciples who were present at the transfiguration and also at the raising of Jairus' daughter. He seemed to be very often the spokesman for the twelve. Uh, we saw that at, uh, at Caesarea Philippi when Jesus withdrew with His disciples. That was really the uh, probably the watershed moment in the Gospels where Jesus' popularity was beginning to wane and uh, everything from that point on was that Jesus had set His face like a flint to go to Jerusalem where He would die for the sins of His people. But remember, that was where Jesus asked the question at Caesarea Caesarea Philippi said, "Who do men say that I am?" And they gave him a lot of answers. They didn't. They didn't say any of the bad things that people were saying about him. But then Jesus said, "Well, who do you say that I am?" And 
Peter was the spokesman for the group. He said, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. But very often, very often when Peter, sometimes he got it right, as in that case. But sometimes when he opened his mouth, it was just to swap feet. And he got it, uh, he got it wrong as well. But he knew, he embraced uh, the truth about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And... Uh, Let's look at a few of these verses uh, that just relate to some of those things that we're talking about. They're in your notes there in the right-hand column. Uh, there from John chapter 1, uh, which has to do with the baptism of Jesus. Uh, Jesus actually had been baptized. And then it said, uh, The next day again John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus and they stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour and one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And notice what it says in verse 41. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. Now, uh, Simon is the, or Simeon, Simon are the Hebrew name. Cephas is the Aramaic name, which means Peter. And Peter is the Greek name. And the word Peter, of course, along with Cephas, means stone. Uh, there was a... Uh, but it was it was Andrew who brought uh, Simon, his brother Simon Peter, to the Lord Jesus. Are we witnessing to our families? Are we standing up for the Lord Jesus? I, very often, it's much easier to to talk to strangers about uh, about the Lord than it is to talk to the folks that are the closest to us. And. Uh, the application here is clear. You and I can't save anybody, but we can point people to Jesus, and we can. We certainly want to point the members of our family to the Lord Jesus because He can uh, save. Uh, after after this, there's a short ministry uh, in Galilee. Uh, that's where the wedding at Cana took place, and then the these early followers of Jesus went back to their fishing business, but then in Matthew chapter 4, we see the call to discipleship. And it says, verse 18, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And they did for the next three years. So there was an early period where there was just sort of a, a little bit of ministry going on, particularly there in Galilee, uh, in the area around Cana and some of those cities. And then apparently those that handful of disciples went back to their original um, situations. And we don't know what the time span exactly was, but uh, but then when... Jesus was ready to enter formally into his ministry. Uh, 
as the time would approach, the uh, then we see uh, then we see Jesus calling his uh, his calling the twelve, and this was where, where he called two of them. In Matthew chapter sixteen, uh, this is that incident that I was referring to earlier about at Caesarea, at Caesarea Philippi, which is north of the Sea of Galilee. In verse thirteen of Matthew sixteen, it says, "Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples." Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Notice again, they didn't say any of the bad things that people were saying. And he said to them, but who do you? He said to them, the disciples, all of them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter speaks up at this point. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. In other words, you are are God incarnate and he recognized that and of course the application for us is who do we say that Jesus is do we just say he's some sort of great prophet uh, that's what uh, that's what Muslims say as they say Jesus was a great prophet well not as great as Muhammad but uh, but almost and uh, you know he kind of second rate to him but they would never ever a Muslim would never ever agree that Jesus is God in human flesh. And that's what Peter recognized. That was revealed to him. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but this has been revealed to you by my Father in heaven. Now, having looked at that background, and I probably spent a little more time than I should have on that, let's talk about uh, this. how Peter came to have these feelings of failure. I, certainly, I think knowing something about his personality and the background uh, probably helps us understand this. Uh, Let's look at Peter as the remorseful apostle. Uh, And the the time frame here is Jerusalem, and it's the evening prior to the crucifixion. And Jesus has made a prediction uh, in Matthew chapter 26. Now this is in your notes. It's uh, on that right-hand side below the double line. Jesus has made a prediction in Matthew 26 verse 31. It says, Then Jesus said to them, and them... Or the uh, the disciples there they're there in that upper room, you will all fall away because of me this night, and then Jesus quotes something to them from Zechariah chapter thirteen, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And the, close the quote there, and then Jesus goes on to say, but after I'm raised up. And of course, that's a reference to the resurrection. After I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, Though they, these, these other guys, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. It was, Peter was so confident in his own strength and ability, and he was confident in his loyalty, and yet he didn't realize the weakness that he had and how he really needed to depend upon the Lord. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the, cru- before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And notice what Peter does. Peter doesn't repent. Peter doesn't say, mm, I never would have expected that. Peter argues with the Lord. And Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not 
deny you. And in fact, it says all the disciples said the same. But it was Peter who was so forceful in all of this. And notice the real irony here. Peter said, if I must die with you. But notice it was the Lord Jesus who was going to die for Peter and for all those who would believe, did believe and would believe in Him. So that's Jesus' prediction. And of course, Peter doesn't buy that. And Peter's arguing with the Lord over that. And, uh, and in fact, uh, notice how his, uh, Peter's uh, protests, uh, protests uh, remain persistent in all of this. John chapter 18, uh, verse 15 and following. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now, uh, Bible scholars believe that the another disciple there is John. That's the way John identifies himself as another disciple, or the, the the disciple whom Jesus loved. That, that terminology you only find that in uh, in in John's gospel. Simon Peter followed Jesus. Incidentally, this is after the arrest. And so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, that is, young John, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. In fact, we discover in one of the other Gospels that that Peter was standing there warming himself along with them and there are other conversations that that take place. uh, Verse 19 says, The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. Even John tells us that. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Didn't I see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. See, I think what happened in the in the garden there is uh, I'm, no, not, I'm sorry, not in the garden in this courtyard where Peter is standing around with those who are outside. Jesus is inside facing an inquisition, and there are others who are uh, who have animosity toward Jesus, who are sort of followers of the high priest. They're standing around a fire. Remember, it's it's early in April and it's night, so it's it's still cold, and. Uh, and they're warming themselves by this fire. And when, uh, when that group says, aren't you one of His? Uh, they even, in Luke chapter 22, verse 59, they mention the fact, aren't you a Galilean? 
And I'm sure the reason that they said that was because Peter's accent probably gave him away. Just like, you know, uh, our accent here in the South is a little bit different from those in the North. Uh, We don't have much of an accent here in the South, but the folks up North seem to have a lot of accent. But, But Peter's response to all of that was he denied it. And at once the rooster crowed, and in Luke chapter 22, we see Peter's awareness of his failure. And in Luke 22, it says, at at this time when the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So, how does Peter feel at this point? He feels like a total failure. And he has failed. But it shouldn't, it shouldn't surprise him because the Lord had said, all of you are going to flee from me. All of you are going to turn away. Remember, there at the, uh, at the, eventually at the cross, the only, people, the only disciple standing at the foot of the cross is John. And the, all the other followers of Jesus are women. They're the ones who are standing at the foot of the cross because Jesus speaks from the cross to John about taking care of his uh, taking care of his mom and mom you need to you need to uh, be be with John now because I'm not going to be around physically to take care of you. So in John chapter 18. Uh, I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 26, it says all of the disciples left Him and fled, just as Jesus said that they would. But failing doesn't make us complete failures. God has a plan and a purpose for Peter. And God is going to show Peter some things about himself and how Peter is trusting in himself, trusting in his own natural strengths and abilities rather than trusting in the Lord, rather than trusting in the grace and the mercy of God, rather than trusting in the power of the Spirit to get him through. So, Peter goes out and weeps bitterly and of course the Lord Jesus is crucified and, uh, and the disciples essentially go into hiding. And, that was, uh, and then on Sunday morning, we, see, we begin to see Simon Peter as the reticent apostle. That is, the uh, uh, reticent means restrained in expression, a person who is inclined to silence. And that's what happens when we feel that we have failed. And we know that we failed. Is sometimes we, you know, sometimes we do get defensive and we begin to make excuses for ourselves. But very often, we we realize that there's no reason to make any kind of excuses. We just blew it, and that's where Peter's going to be. We pick up the story in Luke chapter. Uh, uh, well, I tell you what. Before we look at uh, Luke chapter twenty-two, let's look at uh, let's look at the passage from John chapter twenty-one. 
this is uh, after the uh, resurrection. Uh, notice that uh, on Sunday morning, remember when uh, at the time of the resurrection, the, the women came and they went back to where the, the, the apostles were and reported to them, you know, he's, he's gone, he's uh, saw these angels and the angels said he's raised from the dead and their response in Luke chapter 24 verse 11 is that's a lot of nonsense these people were not looking for a resurrection in fact not even the women were looking for a resurrection they remember why they went they went there to anoint the body there are a number of undetailed uh, appearances of the Lord uh, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15.5 and uh, particularly we find that there were a number of times that, uh, that the Lord appeared to different people. Now, isn't it interesting that, uh, that it seems that the Lord only appeared to believers? See, if you and I had been the Lord, probably what we'd have done is when we'd come back uh, from the dead, first place we'd have gone would be either to Herod's palace or to the praetorium to see Pilate and say, I, I told you. Now, I'm going to get you for what you did. But that's not what Jesus did. All, his post-resurrection appearances were all to believers. But then uh, Sunday morning, uh, I, I'm sorry, Sunday evening and the following Sunday, uh, the, remember the Lord Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room. And there is, uh, and apparently there's, there's no talk at that point about what Peter has done. But can you, if you imagine, if you were Peter, if you were in his sandals, and you've got this thing hanging over you where you just, you just really feel guilty about what you've done, it, you're delighted that the Lord indeed has been raised from the dead and that He is alive forevermore. But how do you deal with this, uh, with this situation? Well, we see the Lord initiating, uh, dealing with that in, uh, in, in John chapter 21. Uh, notice uh, the passage here. It says, after, uh, after this, that is after these uh, initial rep, uh, resurrection appearances, after this, Jesus revealed Himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And again, that's the same as the Sea of Galilee. And He revealed Himself in this way. <clears throat> Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and two others of his disciples who were unnamed here, were together. So there's a total of seven disciples who were there at the Sea of Galilee at this point. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Now, we say, okay, well, he just trying to find something to do. He didn't have anything else to do that day. He's going fishing. No. This I'm going fishing, the verb tense is a perfect tense. And in the Greek language, the perfect tense, uh, the idea is I'm resigning from the apostle business and I'm going back to the fishing business. Now, now think about it. What is he doing? He's going back to do something that he knows how to do that he can do well, that he feels like he can be a success at doing. Because what had he been doing before he had be become a disciple and an apostle of the Lord Jesus? He had been a fisherman. He was a professional fisherman. So this is something he knew how to do. This you would think would make him feel better if he did this. But notice what happens. I'm going fishing. And they said to him, well, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. But that night... 
they caught nothing. Now, how well is his strategy working for feeling better? It's not working at all because he didn't catch anything. Verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. And they noticed the night fishing with nets. And Jesus gets there. I don't know what time he got there. But anyway, he's there on the shore. And as we'll see, he's built a fire and he's, he's cooking breakfast. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? Children, do you have any fish? You ever notice how you know people that don't fish like to ask people who do fish, did they catch any fish? And that's sort of what's going on here. Peter's returned to what he knows, or at least he thinks he knows, what he can do. But think about this. This is this is uh, Peter's going to learn three lessons here. He first of all, he's going to learn this lesson of humility. He didn't catch anything. See, Jesus doesn't need us. There's nothing that we are, there's nothing that we have that impresses Him. We, in fact, need Jesus. And life is empty when we attempt to live it our way. But life can be full when we seek to live it God's way. And that's illustrated here. Do you have any fish? No, they answered. And he said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now, they didn't know this was Jesus. But notice what they did. So they cast it. Why would they do that? These, these Hey, we've been fishing all night. We know more. Who's this guy on the shore? So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved... Now, who did we say that? Yeah, that's John. That's right. Uh, Therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. See, all of a sudden, John knew. How could that... There's no way that guy could have known that unless that guy is none other than our resurrected Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord... He put on his outer garment. Now that doesn't mean he was fishing naked, but it does mean he had stripped down sort of to his BVDs. Uh, now, notice what he does. He puts on his outer garment. It says he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. Let me tell you, if you're going to go for a swim, you take your clothes off. You don't put your clothes on. So he's not thinking clearly right here. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. So you have to ask the question, why swim? Well, again, see, Peter is this impulsive kind of guy. They're they're a football field's length away from the shore. And instead of saying, okay, everybody, let's get the oars and get on over there, Peter puts his coat on and jumps in the water and starts swimming. That's just the kind of fellow we are. But again, notice, the, the lesson for us is when we try to do things our way, when we try to do what we, we know we can make this thing work, uh, this, this is the best way to do it. Life turns up empty. But when we live life God's way, when we cast the net where He says to cast it, when we cast the net when He says to cast it, then life can be full. And it was for Him. It says, When they got out on land, He saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you just caught. Isn't it interesting? Here's Jesus ministering to all of them. He's cooking breakfast. So Simon Peter went aboard and 
haul the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask Him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time, that is the third time as a group, that Jesus was revealed to His disciples after He was raised from the dead. Remember, there were a lot of incidental uh, uh, sightings. You know, the women at the tomb, and uh, there was another. Inst- uh, there were other instances that uh, Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But this is the third time as a group that Jesus was revealed. And remember, the first time was was uh, Resurrection Sunday night. Uh, uh, that was when Thomas was not there. And then the next Sunday night, uh, Jesus appeared to them again and Thomas was there. And then this is the, this is the third time as a, as a group that, uh, that the appearance occurred. Now, we see the second lesson coming up in, in verses 15 and following. And it's a lesson of integrity. <clears throat> we need, you and I need to recognize our, our own sinfulness. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Now notice, Jesus had changed his name when he called him to what? Yeah, to Peter. Peter means stone. Simon means hearing. Why didn't he call him Peter right now? Is he he disowning him? No. But he's not acting like a rock. He's not acting like a stone. Well, you say, yeah, he's hard-headed. Well, maybe so. But what he really needs to do is he needs to hear what the Lord has to say. Simon, hearing. Are you listening to me? Are you hearing me? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, there's a play on words in here, and some people make a big deal out of it, and some don't. But when Jesus says, do you love me more than these, he uses the Greek word agapeo. And agapeo uh, means the sacrificial kind of love. Uh, There's going to be another word that will be used later, phileo, which we get our word Philadelphia from, the city of what? Brotherly love. And there's a, so there's a sacrificial kind of love and there is a brotherly love. And there's a little play on words that, that, that's used here. But Jesus says to Peter, he said, notice, he said, and John's writing this under the inspiration of the Spirit. Jesus said to Peter, who is the stone, Simon, are you hearing me? Son of John, do you love me more than these? Now this is an amb- uh, really an, an ambiguous question. Because when he says, do you love me more than these? Is he asking, are we to understand, is he saying, do you love me more than these others love me? Or is he asking the question, do, do, you, uh, do you love me more than you love these others? See, you could, it could be either way. But when he uses the word love here, it's the word agapeo. So I'm going to use I'm going to use the the meaning of the word here. Maybe it'll help us to understand it a little better. Do you love me sacrificially more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you like a brother. Do you agapeo me 
Yes, Lord, I phileo you. I love you like a brother. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me sacrificially? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you like a brother. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. See, if, if you want to know how much you love the Lord, ask yourself, how much do I care for the Lord's people? That is, my brothers and my sisters in Christ. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me like a brother? Now notice, what Jesus does this time is He uses Simon's terminology. Do you love me like a brother? Phileo. And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me like a brother? Now why was Peter grieved? Was it because the Lord was calling his hand on this? Well, let's just read, see if we can figure it out. And he said to him, Lord, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you like a brother. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Notice, in questioning Peter, Peter now is not so sure of himself. He was cocksure of himself earlier. Well, I'll tell you what, you sure need to keep your eye, eye on these other guys, but as for me, I'll never deny you. Peter, do you, do you love me more than these? Do you really love me? Do you, do you, do you really even love me like a brother? Do you love me with brotherly love? And this old self-sufficient, hard-headed apostle who's trying to get away from that for a little while is brought face to face with his, with his failings and with his own sinfulness. That is, with his overestimation of himself. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it says, For the, by, by the grace of God, I'm sorry, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. See, one of the things we, that the, the big buzzword today is self esteem and self image. They need to have a good self image. The Bible never teaches that. What the Bible teaches is that we need to have an accurate self image. There are times that, sure, we ought to feel good about ourselves. Hey, I'm, I'm doing what the Lord told me to do. And He's given me the grace that I need to do it. He's given me, He's equipped me with the power that I need to do it. And I can feel good about this. I can feel good about what I'm doing because I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do. But then there are other times when we don't do so well, then we need to evaluate ourselves and not say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not so bad when you think about so-and-so. No, 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 no. Am I being obedient to Christ? And if I am, I need to evaluate myself. I need to be careful and not overestimate myself. He had an overestimation of himself. He had an underestimation of his continuing need for God's grace. The real measure of our love for Christ is our service to Christ's people. That's the message right here. 
That's the whole message. Then there's a... No, the time's about to get away from us. Then there's a third lesson. He's teaching him the lesson of humility. He's teaching him the lesson of single-mindedness. That is, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the lesson of integrity. And then thirdly, the lesson of single-mindedness or focus. Uh, Because what we see here is he says, um, beginning at verse 18, and it continues, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. You did what you wanted to do. You went where you wanted to go. You were in charge of yourself. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. You say, what in the world is he talking about? Is he talking about Peter one of these days is going to have a butler, going to have somebody to dress him? All you got to do is keep reading and it tells you what it means. Verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And the, the Bible doesn't record for us the the death of Peter, but uh, church history and tradition tells us that Peter was crucified, but he didn't want to be crucified the same way the Lord was because he didn't feel like he was uh, that he was worthy of that, and so he requested to be crucified upside down, and that's what they did. You will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you. And after saying this, He, Jesus, said to him, Peter, follow me. All you, what you need to do. You, you used to do it the way you wanted to do it. You'd go wherever you wanted to go. you just, you just full of braggadocia and just really a lot of, lot of uh, self-confidence that you didn't need to have because you need to be trusting in me. But now there's going to come a time and he talks about his death here. And he says, meanwhile, here's what you need to do. You just need to follow me. Alright, so the picture is is that apparently Jesus has taken Peter aside, as we'll see as we continue to read. And they're kind of apparently walking along the shoreline. This is after breakfast. Walking along the shoreline. And Jesus and Peter are having this conversation that we've just been reading. But there's somebody who's following close by, and that's John. Verse uh, 20, it says, okay, he said to him, follow me. That's what what you need to use. Peter, you need to follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. And the one also who had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? So this this is just John's way of identifying himself, that he's the one who's out here following. And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Well, Lord, what about this man? Now get the picture. Jesus, uh, Jesus is restoring Peter to his apostleship. Peter's already resigned, said, I'm going back to the fishing business. And Jesus said, no, you're not. You're not going back to the fishing business. I called you to be a fisher of men, and that's what you're going to be. And you're going to feed my sheep. You're going to tend my lambs. You're going to take care of my people. 
But you need to learn not to have such a high opinion of yourself. You need to realize that you need my grace and my mercy far, far more. You've got to have it. It's not that you just need it to be saved, to be saved from hellfire and know you're going to heaven, but you need it day by day, moment by moment to get along. You need not to trust in yourself. You need to trust in me. You just need to follow me. And you need to follow me because one of these days you're going to stretch out your arms and he talked to him about his death. And as soon as he mentioned his death, Peter turned around, saw John, and said, well, but what about this guy? What's going to happen? In other words, what's going to happen to him? What about him? What's the story on him? So again, here's Peter. He's trying to compare himself to John. What about this man? And Jesus said to him, If it's my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? Peter, my plan for John is different from my plan for you. Don't worry about my plan for John. You just concentrate on the plan that I have for you. And what is that plan? You follow me. And that's the way it ends. You follow me. See, think, think of that passage from Hebrews chapter 12 after, after that wonderful, marvelous chapter on, on faith in chapter 11. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says, seeing we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And the idea is we've got all these, these people of faith that we can look to in the Bible and that have just, that have, they've screwed up royally from time to time, but in the final analysis, their faith was in God. Seeing that we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice, I can't run the race that's set before you and you can't run the race that's set before me. Now we're all headed toward the same goal. But we all have different different routes. Now, obviously, I now, whoa, don't jump on that one and say, well, some people get to heaven this way and some people get to heaven that way. Bradshaw is not saying that, not at all. The Bible doesn't say that. I'm just saying the only way to get to heaven is through Christ Jesus, obviously. But in following Christ, there are different routes that God has for us. And the plan that God had for John was different from the one He had for Peter. Peter was crucified upside down. John died as an old man. In fact, he was the only one of the original twelve who didn't die some kind of violent death. A different plan. Some of us, uh, you know, use a, the writer of Hebrews uses the 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 idea the the picture of running the race. Well, if you go to Wericoba Park in Columbus, you know, there's, there's this there's this granite ground up granite that they have around the park. It's a it's a running and walking track. Well, that's some people are able to do that. Some some people run out in the country where there are not gravel tracks. Some people run where there are potholes. You don't expect to see uh, copperhead snakes and rattlesnakes at Wericoba Park, but you may see them when you, if you run out in the country. Well, See, we all have a different plan. Sometimes we start comparing with each other. We act just like Peter did with John. Well, what about this guy? Say, don't worry about that guy. 
So our tendency is to look over there and say, well, wait a minute now. His, his track is smooth. Her track is real smooth. All she's got to do is just put one foot in front of another. It seems like she doesn't ever have any trouble. She gets a little out of breath every once in a while. But, you know, she's just running that race. And I'm over here, and I've got potholes in front of me. And every once in a while, I'll see a rattlesnake out here that I've got to dodge and get around. And there's a hornet's nest or two hanging around. I've got to deal with some of that. And we, we get all excited about those kinds of things. No, we're not to compare ourselves with one another. We're to run the race that is set before us with our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. That's the picture. Ultimately, God would use Peter to help take the gospel to the world. I remember in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 4 and also in Acts chapter 10. In Acts 2 and 4, uh, Acts 2 is the day of Pentecost. And then in Acts chapter 4 as well, you see Peter preaching to a great group of Jewish people, uh, many of whom God saves, brings to faith. And then in, in Acts chapter 10, you see God sending Peter to Cornelius' house, to the house of a Gentile. And the gospel really begins to go in earnest to the Gentiles at that point. And notice what Peter would write later on, First Peter chapter 5. And I did put this in your notes. Be self-controlled and alert. See, Peter's learning that lesson. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who calls you to His eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while will Himself restore you. See, Peter knew that from experience. He will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Now, Peter was not faultless. We find in, uh, in Galatians chapter 2 a place where uh, Paul talks about the fact that he had to rebuke Peter because Peter acted hypocritical at one point. He talks about that in Acts chapter, uh, I'm sorry, in Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 through 14. We just don't have the time to get into that right now. And yet, Peter apparently accepted that rebuke because later on when he wrote, when Peter wrote 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 15 and 16, he talks about the writings of Paul and when he talks about Paul's writings, he puts them in the same category as the Old Testament Scriptures. Peter was learning. And he learned to trust in the grace of God. So let's look briefly at the, at the conclusion here. It says, even as redeemed people of God, it's inevitable that we will experience failure. Not one of us is perfect. We're, we're just not. It's important to admit our failures to ourselves and to admit them to God. You know, and confession... Confession, you know, 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, confession is the perfect way to handle our imperfections. I agree with God that what I've done is wrong. I agree with God that I have failed in this issue. And I ask God to forgive me and restore me and help me, empower me to do better and to trust in His grace to get me through the next time. 
it's important to know that failing doesn't make us failures because God assures us of His pardon. And it's important to learn to live with our failures by seeking God's mercy and to learn from our failures by seeking God's wisdom and guidance. In Romans 8.37, the Bible says we are more than conquerors. We overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. In spite of our sinfulness, our fears, our braggadocia, whatever it is, those sins that beset us, Christ Jesus is faithful to us. As the Good Shepherd, He rebukes us, He restores us, He encourages us, He preserves us, and He calls upon us to follow Him. We are to use our God-given gifts to help and encourage others. We are to use our God-given gifts in the places or the place to which He has called us. And we are to use our God-given gifts with a confident assurance that He will produce the results that He intends in His own time. Philippians 1.6, I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. And as the giver of the indwelling Spirit, God promises that He will empower us to follow Him. Notice what it says in John chapter 16 and following. I will ask the Father, Jesus said, and He will give you another Helper that He may be with you forever. And this, remember this, when He says, I will give you another Helper, it's the word... It's the word alos. There are two Greek words for another. Word is, one word is heteros, which means another of a different kind. A heterosexual person is a person who is attracted to another person of the opposite sex. The, uh, the other word is alos, means another of the same kind. And when he says, I will ask the Father, he will give you another. This is alos, another. He will give you another helper, the same kind that I am that He may be with you forever. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. He says in John 14. And then He also mentions in John 16, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of Mine and disclose it to you. And let's close with this passage from 1 Corinthians. It's not in your notes, but you might want to jot it down. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 and following, where he says, where Paul writes, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. Why would God do that? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, that is because of Christ, because of God's mercy and grace, 
Because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. You're not in Christ Jesus. You are not a believer because you're smarter than the person who is not a believer. You're not in Christ Jesus because uh, you just decided one day, well, you know, I think I'll just follow the Lord and that'll be a good thing to do. That, that makes me better than everybody else. No. No. If left to yourself, you would have never come. Because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts... That's what Peter did a lot of boasting. But he learned that he needed not to boast in him about himself, but to boast in the Lord. And that's what Paul writes about here. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The Lord's the only one who has bragging rights. And when we brag, we need to brag on Jesus. God help us to trust Him. Let's pray. You've been listening to Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Your gifts to Focus on Truth are tax deductible. For a free copy of our monthly newsletter, Glimpses of Truth, For other information about the ministry, write to Focus on Truth, Box 5367, Columbus, Georgia, 31906.